1: Welcome to MLB Daily, your one-stop shop for daily baseball content. I am LJ LaFiera. Alongside me, I've got Brandon Karam, and this is a Belly Up Sports podcast. We are what they aren't. Brandon, how you doing?
2: LJ, doing good. Uh, Just got finished watching sunday night baseball the yankees and the red sox and uh we had another very exciting day in the mlb a lot of games a lot of stuff to talk about and uh yeah we're approaching the trade deadline so we're going to do a little bit of a segment at the end of each show where we make a hypothetical trade so after the game recaps, we will, uh, go through, uh, that, but, uh, yeah, should be a, a fun show.
1: Yeah. Let's get underway here, Brandon. I believe you're up first.
2: Yeah. Well, the Yankees and the Red Sox on Sunday night baseball, uh, the rubber match in this series and in the bottom of the second Glaber Torres, uh, Goes deep, his fifth home run of the year, his second in as many days, and it's one nothing Yankees. Bottom three, Giancarlo Stanton uh, hits into a force out that does score a run, and it's 2 nothing Yanks. In the bottom of the fifth, Greg Allen, superstar Greg Allen, I should add. Uh, sacrifice fly, that makes it 3-0 Bronx Bombers, and they would pile it on in the seventh. Rugio Dor. With a piss missile to right center field, five nothing Yankees at that point, and then they get two bases loaded walks from Glaber Torres and Chris Gittins. It's seven to nothing Yankees. Hunter Renfro does get the Red Sox on the board in the eighth with an RBI single and then a terrible throw by Ryan Lamar, uh, who was playing hurt, and we will get to that. But then Ryan Lamarck steps up in the eighth and hits a two-run home run to cap off a 9-1 Yankees win and a series win, uh, as the Yankees are now uh, four games over five hundred. So certainly uh, a good way to start off the uh, the second half. But the win here goes to Jameson Tyone, who looked very, very good and has been pitching Uh, extremely well as of late five and a third four hits no earned three strikeouts and only two walks the loss to martin perez who really didn't look bad tonight uh four innings five hits three earned struck out five and uh the yankees brought on a Rollis chapman to close it out uh he did look a little shaky there at the beginning but hey it's clean innings. He's not allowing earned runs. He will eventually get back to where he was, but uh, yeah. LJ thoughts thoughts on the game, thoughts on the series. I mean, you, you guys essentially lost to a AAA team, so I, it must be that must feel pretty bad.
1: All right, this in my head honestly feels a lot like one of those situations where a lot of momentum is gained by one side but not a lot is really lost by the other granted the Yankees pitching has been re- was really good all weekend long and really shut this team up i mean they had what was it six six earned six runs all weekend that is half as many warning track flyouts that Aroldis Chapman had all weekend but We're not getting too far into that. I mean, again, the vast majority of the damage the Yankees had done before the game got out of hand this this weekend was done by players that were already established on this team. I am not going to get all down in the dumps because Rufnet Odor and Glaber Torres and Gary Sanchez are going deep. These are guys that would have been there whether COVID happened or whether it didn't. And so overall, I don't really feel like, again, they did did a great job. I'm not saying those other guys didn't play well, but they weren't a major factor to me in this series. It's not like they completely played out of their minds or we got shown up necessarily by any of them. It just this bullpen fell apart after Whitlock left, and there was really no retrieving this game after – Hernandez came into that game the thing you talked about uh first barely there with um what do you call it Ryan Lamar this is absolutely asinine what is going on in that Yankees outfield right now and it's 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 bordering on comical at this point I checked mid game so Ryan Lamar for those of you who didn't see it basically is the second Yankee this series to eat a wall trying to catch a fly ball. First it was um, Tim LeCastro in left field, a center fielder playing left field, hits the foul, foul wall. The Yankees are basically responsible for him getting hurt by having him start in yes, left 40
2: days to yell.
1: Yes. And then you have Ryan Lamar who mind you has played 65% of his games in the major leagues as a center fielder and you start him in right in favor of putting um, Brett Gardner in there after um, Ambergi got hurt. So there you have, there we have another, another outfielder hurt in Trey Amberghi. but you also have a center fielder playing right field when you have Brett Gardner in there who just is not athletically capable of defending center field to the ability of some of these other guys they've had in there. It, it makes no sense and it's starting to really hurt them as they keep getting guys hurt putting them in situations that they certainly wouldn't be in in center field
2: to be fair ryan lamar is not i mean if you if i had to pick between a center fielder you know gardner really isn't terrible out there ryan lamar in the couple games that he played, I remember he played in, in that uh, in that Texas Rangers series when uh, Corey Kluber threw the no hitter. I mean, this guy, even beyond that, he's not been a good fielder at all in his major league career. So, you know, I would rather have Brett Gardner, but yeah, I mean, look, the Yankees get. I I went on that rant last night about Tim LaCastro, guy who the Yankees trade to play center field. They choose to not play in the center field. He gets hurt. They call up Trey Ambergy. They call up uh, Greg Allen. They call up Ryan Lamar. That's your starting three tonight. And Ryan Lamar gets hurt. Then plays through it, though. So, I mean, I uh, p- major props to him. Trey Ambergie, that was a very nasty uh Hit that he took on the wall too, LJ. I mean, three Yankees ate the wall. I mean, Trey Amber, you probably took the worst out of the three.
1: Yeah, I mean, this was just a very rough time. And again, I'm not trying to say that Gardner is necessarily a, a bad fielder. Like again, 35 per, 35th percentile and outs above average this season. I'm not trying to get on his case, but I just feel like they've brought in better options. And they could certainly find a better option. And yet they keep trotting him out there time and time again to go through the same, same struggles. And it's not entirely his fault, but you can tell like he's, he's trying his hardest and there's just some plays that he can't make at this point. And that's just another thing that is holding this team back.
2: Well, all right, let's, uh, Move on to the Mets and the Pirates, and this one was ooh, very interesting. So, bottom one Brian Reynolds, uh, with an RBI single that's all star starter Brian Reynolds, RBI single it's one nothing Pirates, then John Nagowski, number 69, nice, nice himself. With a 2-RBI double, it's 3 nothing Pittsburgh. Then we get possibly one of the craziest plays of the year, and of course it involves the Pittsburgh Pirates, and I'll do my best to explain this. Kevin Newman's uh, hitting, and the bases are loaded. It's like a swinging bunt down the third baseline. The pitcher for the Mets, Taiwan Walker, is coming over to field the ball. And the ball starts off foul, and it's going to roll back fair. So Taiwan Walker wants to run over and touch it foul, of course, so that way it's a strike, and he can continue pitching, and it's not an infield single. So he goes to, like, scoop the ball up. And by the time his glove hits the ball, like, it is so close. You can barely tell if it's fair or foul. He scoops it up, and the ball – caroms off his glove and goes over by the dugout however the umpire calls the ball fair and all three runners on base come around to score immediately taiwan walker starts arguing the call mets manager luis rojas comes out bumps the umpire and he gets immediately ejected because of that and they were arguing but that made it six nothing pittsburgh uh in the first inning uh Prior to continuing this recap, uh LJ, uh yeah, your thoughts on the play.
1: Never in my life have I seen a three RBI bunt. I mean that honestly. And most of that was entirely inflicted by the Mets. Do I think you should be doing making that play ever? No. The play itself was on Walker in part. However, seven times out of 10, you're not going to get a play that close in that situation. And so I don't really sweat those, that first run, maybe the second run. However, the third run is a little ridiculous because if you remember, Taewon Walker starts arguing that call immediately. Meanwhile, the ball is all the way over by the dugout as these guys are lapping around the bases and a guy who's trying to get a bunt single, maybe just a sacrifice bunt. He's going over to second base. James McCann, I have no clue where the hell he was, but no one was making a move immediately towards that ball, certainly not quick enough. And that all ultimately almost cost them. This is certainly a not, P, uh, not PPP moment. And I mean, what's more LOL Mets than this?
2: Well, certainly it reminds me of one time when uh, David Cohn, I think it was in 1990. He was arguing a very close bang bang call at first, where he was covering the bag, and the ump called them called the the runner safe. So he spiked the ball on the ground, like the ball bounces up in the air, and then all the runners, there, there's two runners on, they both score as he's literally in the umpire's face, spiking the ball on the ground, not realizing that the that the, the the runner that is still alive. However, in this game, though, it it went downhill for the Pirates. After taking a 6-0 lead in the first, the Mets scored four uh, in in innings three and four. Uh, In the third, they got an RBI single from Dom Smith. And then in the fourth, Travis Blakenhorn with a three-run home run and its 6-4 Pirates. Top six, Dom Smith with an RBI double make it 6-5 Mets, or excuse me, 6-5 Pirates. We jump to the ninth. The Pirates bring on their closer Richard Rodriguez, who has been very good all season, and Michael Conforto steps up and rips a go-ahead two-run home run to give the Mets a 7-6 lead after trailing 6-0 in the first inning. Then the Mets call on Trevor May. He gets the save, and the Mets win 7-6. to six. Give the win to Yuri's Familia. Two innings out of the bullpen. Taiwan Walker got the start. Goes one-third of an inning. Four hits, five earned runs. Four walks, no strikeouts. The loss to Richard Rodriguez. One inning, two hits, two earned runs, and that whole run allowed. And Trevor May gets the save.
1: All right. Um, I guess all I can say to that is LOL Pirates?
2: <laughs> LOL. It was LOL Mets. Now it's LOL Pirates. It, and it was both in the same game.
1: Well, let's transition into this Blue Jays and Rangers matchup. Over in Buffalo, this one starts with a ground out by Marcus Simeon that scores the first run of the game. Boba drives another in in that bottom of the third to extend the lead to two. Later on in the fifth inning, Danny Jansen goes yard, makes this three nothing before in the bottom of the sixth. Randall Grishuk and Lourdes Guriel can drive in runs. Toronto takes this one five to nothing over the Rangers. Give the win to Hyunjin Ryu. He pitches seven innings of three-hit ball shutout with four strikeouts. The loss will go to Colby Allard. He had seven hits, five earned, over five and a third innings pitched today, and he is now two and seven on the year. This next game, somehow you've got a pretty bad loss in that first game, Brandon. It gets twice as bad in the second game. The Toronto Blue Jays managed to get six runs in the bottom of the first, including an RBI double from Kioska Hernandez, an RBI single from Randall Grichuk, and a grand slam from Lourdes Gurriel Jr., his 11th of the year. In the bottom of the second, things get even worse as Vladdy Guerrero Jr. hits his 31st home run of the year to extend this lead. George Springer and Randall Grichuk also go yard here, and Toronto wins this one by a score of 10 to nothing, and Texas gets shut out in this doubleheader. Give the win to Steven Matz. He pitches five innings, allowing three hits, no earned with two strikeouts. The loss will go to Mike fulton Nevich. He pitched an inning and a third, allowing eight hits, 10 earned, and no strikeouts. Brandon, this is one of the few times this year where we have seen two starters go in a doubleheader or at least yeah. the few I can remember. Like usually it's either a bullpen or they bring somebody else up or do something, but this is two significant starts on the same day for this guy. I mean, certainly a benefit of having the All-Star break here that they can take advantage of and push themselves for, further up these AL East standings.
2: Yeah, uh no, you're yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh I think that the reason why they can do that is because of the all-star break. And let me just say, if I'm a Rangers fan, uh, brutal day to be a Rangers fan. You know, you woke up today. You said, oh, I'm going to be able to watch my team play two games. It's Sunday. You know, just kick back, watch uh, watch the boys go out there and have a couple nice games. And, uh, yeah, you combined for six hits uh, and no runs across the two games so yeah uh rough but let's move on to the Padres and the Nationals game one this was the game that got interrupted uh during the that uh shooting that occurred outside the ballpark yesterday I did the recap up to that point where it was uh Ryan Zimmerman had hit a home run for the Nationals to
0: You really can sell to anyone from anywhere. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free22. Shopify.com slash free22. Shopify.com slash free22. Internet connection required. Not available on mountaintops or sea floors.
2: Close the lead to 5-4 to four with the Padres uh, still leading. This game would resume... And Fernando Tatis Jr. would rip an RBI single in the sixth to extend the Padres' lead to 6-4. to Jake Cronenworth with another single to make it 7-4. And then Manny Machado makes it 8-4 with a single of his own. In the seventh, Tommy Pham hits a two-RBI single, and the Padres go up 10-4, and they win it by that score. The win to Craig Stammen. Who uh, went one inning out of the bullpen? Blake Snell, four innings, four earned runs, three strikeouts. L.J. His season ERA is five point two one. Uh, you are muted. Really? Yeah. Uh, just I can't. Uh, L.J. I feel like every time I read his. His lines, like, he, he doesn't go over five innings ever.
1: No, and again, it's not like it was last year. Like, last year, he wasn't going over five innings because they wouldn't let him see the lineup twice. This year, he's going not going over five innings because he can't get
2: past five innings. I mean, he walks. He's walking so many guys. I mean, like, look at his walks per nine. Five yeah. 20 walks per nine. It's just... This is not the best
1: Nick Nick Snell, Blake Snell, we have ever seen. Will we ever see that again? Probably not. And it's just kind of shocking because, again, they were able to manage him so well last year, and then this year has just managed to go so horribly wrong. It makes makes you glad if you're a Padres fan that you didn't end up having to give up too much for him. (laughs)
2: Well, LJ, listen to this. Uh, he's made 17 starts this year and has only thrown 74 innings. Jeez. Brutal. I mean, that's like an average of four, 4.2, 4.3, something like that is what that comes out to. 4.3 mm-hmm. innings per game, really? That's all you can give him. I don't know. But
1: I mean to be fair at a 5-2-1 he t- isn't really deserving much more than that.
2: No, no. <laughs> exactly. Well, uh in game 2 of this uh I guess you can call a doubleheader, two games were Oh, yeah, that's the
1: five. other thing. I was genuinely shocked. I didn't realize this wasn't in the MLB rules. Why couldn't they have played this as a doubleheader rules? I like, think because And I know I know the first one was technically supposed to be nine innings, but like they make allowances like that all the time in the minors to be able to do seven innings if you're finishing another game. So it would just would have made more sense for everybody, the broadcast group, the teams, if you could have just made this seven innings and not completely delayed everyone's plans in that regard, it wouldn't have been that At big. At least of the
2: make element. the second game seven innings. Yeah, like if that, you that's what I meant, not won. the
1: first game. Oh, no,
2: yeah. I don't think
1: I don't think they they by rule could. It's not really right for them to make it seven innings.
2: But Manfred would love that. Oh my god, he could just shorten any kind of game he wants. Imagine the, the MLB is like, "Yup, we're gonna be we're gonna shorten three games a day, and we're not gonna tell you till the fifth inning."
1: Do you think the Yankees would probably win 120 games at least? They just they just decide okay, we need to make sure they're good. So every time they get up, we're just gonna stop the game.
2: That would be such a cool concept, though. Like, imagine it's, like, you're, like, waiting all day, and it's, like, oh, what game is randomly going to get picked? And then it's, like, the fifth inning, and it's, like, oh, that's the seven-inning game today. And then,
1: And it's, like, you can't even plan for it, too. Like, when it's some of the rainout ones, like, there have been times in the past, particularly that Miami series where it was, like, torrential downpours in Boston, and Alex Cora ended up just treating – the fifth inning as the eighth inning and ended up putting Barnes out in the sixth. Cause he was like, he knew darn well, as soon as Miami came up in the fifth or in the sixth, the top of the sixth, the game was done. As soon as yeah. they got through that top inning, it was all over. But yeah, Brandon, let's get into the second game. Nine, nine, nine full innings of baseball.
2: Yes. And this game certainly did not disappoint. As it gets started in the bottom of the third, where Josh Bell hits into a ground out that scores Trey Turner, it's one nothing Nationals. Josh Harrison then doubles, Andrew, Steve- Andrew Stevenson singles, and Tress Barrera singles. It's 4 nothing Nats uh, after three innings. In the top of the fourth, though, Eric Hosmer hits a three-run home run and uh, the Padres cut it to one. It's 4-3 next. Top seven, and Profar ties the game with his second homer of the year, and it is 4-4. Four, four. In the eighth, Manny Machado hits his 16th homer of the year to give the Padres a 6-4 lead. But in the bottom of that inning, The Padres bullpen falls apart. They allow a home run to Alcides Escobar, his first on the season. And then Juan Soto with the two run go ahead homer uh, to make it 7 6 Nats. Now the Nationals have a turn to close it out. They bring on Brad Hand. He allows, he blows the save and allows a game tying single to Trent Grisham. It's seven-seven. We go to the bottom of the ninth, and Alcides Escobar is able to get Mark Melanton to blow the save by hitting a walk-off walk single. The Nats win eight to seven in a very crazy back-and-forth game. And basically, this game it was it was it was both bullpens saying uh, who wants to lose the game more. Uh, that's what it came down to. But you can give the win to Brad Hand who does blow that save, one inning, one earned run, three walks. Max Scherzer got uh, the start, seven innings, four earned runs, and eight Ks. The loss to Mark Melanson, a third of an inning, two hits, one earned run. Joe Musgrove, five innings, four earned runs in this one. And uh, they split this uh, doubleheader.
1: Yeah, again this game just is a, another reminder of how good Craig Kimbrel would look in a Padres jersey again again i'm sure we'll talk about this more in depth in one of the days to come as we go through trade scenarios but i just really love this because if you're San Diego you are as in it as you ever have been right now even if you're going to be in the wild card game even if this division looks tougher than you thought it was going to be you are as in it as you ever have been and A real shutdown closer might be exactly the thing you need. Mark Melanson does not put fear into anyone. He isn't going to be the guy that keeps you without contact for the entire inning. And you really cannot have your closer, your go-to guy, be a guy that is going to give up hit after hit after hit. Like, I'm sorry, but Mark Melanson just, he doesn't do it for me. He gives up way too much contact. Maybe it's soft contact. Contact is contact, especially when you're trying to win games and get yourself in the right position in the middle of the season when you still have this runner on second base in extras.
2: No, yeah, no, I agree. Uh, One thing uh, that I took from this game, uh, yeah, Juan Soto is is back. And, like, he's been good the whole year. (laughs) He's been good the whole year, but the stats are actually there now. He's hitting 295. The OPS is at 900. The on-base percentage is at 415. Uh, I mean, I I know we've been doing a lot of crapping on the Nats lately, but uh, this guy is just, he continues to impress. And the one baseball savant stat that I think is great, his chase rate, he's in the 100th percentile. I mean, it must be so frustrating as a pitcher to know that this guy is the best player in the league at taking balls. And every single time that he does it, he's going to grab his crotch and just like kick the dirt around and stare <laughs> in your face. And he's the best in the league at doing it right now. It just must be so frustrating. He, he
1: He's just a monster. I mean, it's it's, it's just... I think that's possibly the best way to put it. Like the more you try to explain him, the more you the harder it becomes, right?
2: Right. It's like, but when 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 I see that hundredth percentile and chase rate, it's like, oh my god, like it, it makes sense now. It makes sense. Absolutely. All right, let's get into this Tigers Twins game. Scoring starts in the
1: bottom of the third, where we get a Jonathan Scope sack fly, a Miggy RBI single, and then a Heimer Condolario. RBI double to make this a 3-0 Detroit lead before you could even blink. Bottom of the fifth, Jonathan Scope goes 360 around the bases. He, this makes this a 5-0 game. And then later on, Jaime Candelario also goes yard. The Tigers win this one 7 to nothing over the Twins. Give the win to Willie Peralta. He goes seven innings, allowing four hits of shutout ball with four strikeouts. The loss will be given to Hap Foot and Mouth. Seven innings, eleven hits, seven earned, and four strikeouts. I'm assuming you're only putting him out there because you need. No, you couldn't need somebody to eat innings that badly. Like,
2: oh, he's a you starter. Probably should have
1: put. You probably should have put him out of his misery after he allowed those runs in the fifth. That's just my take on it. Like, especially now when you've got a pretty fresh bullpen coming out of the all-star break but you know i mean nothing really gonna fix this game and
2: team anyways if you would like to point me to to who you would bring out of that absolutely stellar twins bullpen uh yeah alex colome because i need to see miggy's home run totals get a little higher he (laughs) alex colome like signed a big deal like or not a big deal but like he, i felt like he signed like a pretty impactful deal and this guy's just been awful like
1: he was he was the closer there for all of five seconds
2: he yeah he pitches in like the sixth inning now Like that's all you need to know
1: and i remember we were talking about it too as we were just like this is an awfully weird signing for, signing for chicago to bring in liam Hendricks, who barely closed has ever closed games or he hasn't consistently been a closer throughout his career to give him that big a deal and then to just let Alex Colome, your standing closer walk um this might have had a lot to do with why they let Alex Colome walk
2: yeah uh and it just goes to show LJ I mean you were talking about it prior to the show how dumb Oakland is for just like letting all their guys walk. I mean, they let Liam Hendricks walk, they let Marcus Simeon walk. All
1: right. They, there's no way they were paying Liam Hendricks the money that Chicago gave him.
2: I mean, yeah, but can you imagine this, this A's team would like even like, yes, I'd Lou, rather not. Lou Trevino has been good, but like with Liam Hendricks in there too, and they got Jake Diekman as a lefty in there, I don't know. That would be, that would be really fun. I, I want Oakland to be good, but their, their owners in front office don't. So it's just like, I don't know.
1: How can you? Yeah, no, honestly, if this Oakland team had those two guys, if they had Simeon and Hendricks still there, this is, looks, this looks like a very different race. I mean, I still think Houston's 120% in this, but are you even looking at the second wild card as a contender at that point? No, you aren't.
2: No, I mean, you replace Elvis Andrews with the all star starter second baseman. I feel like that would be pretty impactful for them. But, uh, yeah, Marlins and Phillies, they got a doubleheader also today. And in game one, which, which, which one was game one? Oh, okay. That's right. They, they resumed the play in the top of the uh, 10th inning. They started in extra innings today. Uh, this game that got going in the first, jumping back to two days ago, when Andrew, Andrew McCutcheon had a sack fly, one nothing Phillies. Reese Hoskins with a double made it two nothing. Then in the top of the ninth, Jesus Aguilar hit his 17th homer of the year to tie the game at two. And that sent the game to extras. Today, in extra innings, top ten JT, or excuse me, bottom ten JT Realmuto with a walk-off two-run home run, and the Phillies win four to two. The win to Jose Alvarado, who remains a perfect six and zero on the year. Actually, really impressive for a relief pitcher to do, especially one who pitches in high-leverage situations. Uh, especially when
1: he's their only high leverage
2: pitcher. Especially when he has a 4.41 ERA and still hasn't taken a loss. Uh the loss goes to Yimmy Garcia, who is three and seven with a 3.67 ERA. Uh, a three-and-seven closer, mind you. Is he even the closer? Is it Anthony Bass? Is it is it is it Bender? Because this guy Bender, he was this this guy Anthony Bender, I feel like his first 20 innings, he hadn't allowed an earned run. I don't know. But Philadelphia takes this one. Game two. Uh it was kind of the same story. Philadelphia scores two in the first after a JT Realmuto single. Miami does take the lead in the third inning. They get an RBI double from Starling Marte and then an Adam Duvall two run home run and it would be four to two in the bottom of the fifth Andrew McCutcheon hits a solo home run it's four to three Didi Gregorius ties the game with a home run of his own and then in the sixth inning the Phillies take the lead they get a sack fly from Gene Segura JT Realmuto adds on in the eighth with another uh run scoring single the Phillies win seven to four and sweep double header give the win to Zach Wheeler six innings four earned runs for him the loss to Anthony Bender Uh, yeah I guess that's why they didn't uh, (laughs) but then again the guy they that they did use in the first game also also took the loss one inning uh, two earned runs for him and Hector Naris with his 12th save on the season.
1: Yeah, I mean, I know you're very high on the Yankees train, having beat the Red Sox, who have come out ice cold, from the All-Star break. But I think you can make an argument that this doubleheader was far more impactful momentum-wise. You've got now the Philadelphia Phillies here, who have yet to make moves to their roster, but are expected to. They are now two games out of the division lead right now thanks to that doubleheader sweep and the Mets metzing yesterday and nearly Metsing today. So they are just where they want to be right now.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens in the NL East here in the next couple weeks.
1: All right. I believe next up is Orioles Royals. Yep, The Orioles get on the board first here in the top of the third. Ramon Urias hits an RBI single. This one will score two runs and put them up two nothing with a score, which will hold until the fifth, starting in the fifth, Trey Mancini hits an RBI single. Then in the sixth Austin wins helps them push towards this five, nothing win with an RBI double of his own. As I previously mentioned, Baltimore takes down Kansas city at a score of five to nothing. Give a win to the Dark night. Matt Harvey with a six-inning shutout performance, three hits, two strikeouts. This is his fourth win of the year, and he now has a seven-point-one-three ERA.
2: His first He's win in thirteen starts.
1: He's heating up, Brandon. Do not doubt the Dark Knight because he will find you.
2: Yeah, but and- isn't that crazy though? How he can he is legitimately one of the worst pitchers in the league and all of a sudden today he just had nasty stuff like they like some pitchers like I, I understand how hard it is to be consistently a good pitcher because like some days you just have your stuff like there's five or six starts a year where you're just untouchable and then there's a bunch in between like it's just it's it, it's it's crazy to me
1: you know why he can do it
2: dark night. Because he's Matt Harvey. The Dark Knight.
1: The Dark Knight. If if you doubt the Dark Knight, he will find you. And when he finds you, he will 100% walk you.
2: Yeah, or, or, or throw you a meat. Wild
1: pitch. Hit by pitch. Give up the dinger. Um, Hernandez gets the loss for Kansas City, his first of the year. He pitched four innings, allowing three hits, two earned, and six strikeouts.
2: All right, the Brewers and the Reds, top one. Rowdy Telez gets hit by a pitch. The Brewers take a one-nothing lead. In the fifth, Tyrone Taylor with a two RBI single makes it three-nothing. Jackie Bradley Jr. drives home two more with a triple and it's five-nothing. The Brewers add on late in the game with homers from Christian Yelich and Willie Adamas, and they win eight-nothing. The win to Corbin Burns who uh, had an absolute fantastic start, pitching into the ninth inning, eight and a third, five hits, no earned runs, and 12 strikeouts. He lost to Sonny Gray, four and two thirds, five earned runs, six strikeouts, and four walks for him. Uh, LJ, you have something about Sonny Gray.
1: Yeah, from the way you said that, I don't think you've seen this yet. No. Did you <laughs> did you see the whole thing with the pine tar and Sonny Gray?
2: No, no.
1: So apparently, Sonny Gray must have sat either where a bat had had been laid in the dugout, sat on his bat, or something. But he got a very blatant and obvious two smears of pine tar on the back of his pants. Or at least we hope it was pine tar. I really I really hope it was pine tar. Um, I don't think I'd be able to handle it if we got a, another Lamar Jackson situation in the same year as Lamar Jackson's previous instances in the middle of a game. Anyway, the umps check him out, and I mean it was pretty obvious. I don't I don't think I don't think it could have been intentional because there is no way, Brandon. Once you see this picture, there is no way you won't be able to see it. Like it was so clear and obvious. So, the only way that they could really get rid of it without throwing him out, they figured it out. We're just going to have him rub his butt on the mound, get dirt all over it, and make it unusable. So, that's what he did in the middle of his start. Right when he came out, he got down in like a crab walk position and rubbed the spot on the mound to get the pine no, tarot. I
2: refuse to believe that. That sounds like a Zach Grenky thing. Like that is that's like the perfect Zach Grenky story. Except, I didn't
1: believe it either. And it, like, if you don't know what happens when you first see it, which I think is the best way to see it, it, it it's just the most bizarre thing you may see on the on the mound today. Emphasis on today.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, well. Yeah, that's certainly uh, certainly interesting, but Corbin Burns' jobs once again.
1: All right, next up we have the Astros and the White Sox, if I can find the notes on this one. because This one is another big dub for the White Sox coming out of the All-Star break here. Danny Mendick hits an RBI single, starts this game off strong, 1-0 for Chicago in the bottom of the second. In the bottom of the third, Juan Mankata goes deep. Then Tim Anderson goes deep in the fifth. And then scoring finally finishes with an RBI single by Adam Engel in the bottom of the seventh. Chicago takes yet another game from Houston and gets them to their 56th win of the year with this 4-0 result. Give the win to Carlos Rodon. He pitches seven innings, allows one hit with no earned runs and 10 strikeouts here. Absolutely cooking that man is. And then Framber Valdez will be charged with a loss in this one six and a third, seven hits, four earned, four strikeouts.
2: Rays, Graves. This one, Atlanta gets on the board with an Ozzy Albies double in the first. It's one nothing. Braves. In the fourth, Guillermo Heredia hits his 21st double on the season. Uh, to drive home a run. And then Jock Peterson with an RBI ground out and it's three to nothing Braves. In the fifth, the Rays get on the board on a wild pitch that scores Brandon Lau. Then Austin Meadows with a sack fly and uh, the Rays betrayal trail by two. Wander Franco with his third home run on the season ties the game up in the sixth inning at three. But then Jock Peterson comes through with a RBI double in the bottom of the sixth to make it a 4-3 Braves. The Rays score four runs in the seventh inning. They get a double from Kevin Kiermaier, a sack fly from Austin Meadows, and then a Yandy Diaz two-run home run. They would make it 7-4. Steven Vogt with a, uh, a single to make it 7-5. But uh, the Rays would hold on to win, and you can give the win – to jeffrey springs rich hill four innings three earned runs the loss goes to aj minter and drew smiley got to start five and two-thirds innings three earned runs also i just want to say like like a kevin cash and the way that the rays operate we always talk about is very you know interesting uh the rays playing in a a national league park they they <laughs> Kevin Cash did three double switches. He had Brandon Lau start in left field, come and play second base, and then go back to left field. Uh, He was using a bunch of pinch hitters. He, you know, he's just he had he had Wander Franco. He's giddy
1: because he can finally use all of his infielders.
2: Oh yeah, no, he had he had Wander Franco go from shortstop to third base. He had Joey Wendell go from third base to second base when Brandon Lau was in left field. He was just using everybody everywhere. And it's the Rays, that's like their ultimate goal as a franchise. Just be like, look, this is just peak Ray right here.
1: <laughs> peak Ray.
2: Peak Ray. Just that's just watching that.
1: All right. Next up we have the Indians and the A's. Scoring starts the Bradley Zimmer home run, his second of the year makes this a Cleveland lead after the first. In the bottom of the second, Matt Chapman gets the RBI to tie it up before Bradley Zimmer hits an RBI single in the fifth to take the lead once again. Seth Brown does tie this up with his 11th home run of the season in the bottom of the fifth, but then a Daniel Johnson home run and then another RBI from Bradley Zimmer makes this the final of 4-2 for the Cleveland Indians. Give this win to Zach Plezak he pitches six innings, allowing four hits, two runs, and three strikeouts. The loss will go to Chris Bassett. Seven innings, six hits, three earned, and eight strikeouts for him. The save will be given to Shaw today, his second on the year.
2: All right, next up we have the Giants and the Cardinals, Uh and this gets started, actually not a lot of scoring plays in this one at all. Paul DeYoung homers in the third, uh, his 13th on the year, and it's one nothing Cardinals. In the fourth, Darren Ruff hits his 10th home around the season, and we're tied at one. In the bottom of the seventh, Harrison Bader then comes through with an RBI single to give the Cardinals a 2-1 lead. The bullpen's able to shut it down, and the Cardinals win two to one the win goes to genesis cabrera wade leblanc got the start five innings one earned three k's the loss to john breba uh he pitched one inning love one earned run out of the giants bullpen alex reyes gets the save his 22nd on the year He also sets the MLB record for most consecutive saves to start a career without blowing a save passes LaTroy Hawkins. He actually picked up a save uh, in 2016 when he was 21 years old. He picked up another save in the 2020 season and he has 22 this year and leads the league in games finished with 39 now. Uh, So Certainly a reliever on the rise, already a premier closer at age 26, in my opinion.
1: Absolutely. All right, let's get into this Mariners-Angels game here. Luis Torrens is able to reach on a throwing error, and that's able to score two runs for Seattle and give them the 2-0 lead here. Luis Torrens then comes back around in the fourth to do even more damage A solo homer extends the lead to 3-0 before a Thai France three-run piece makes this 6-0 in the fifth. Jose Iglesias and Shohei Otani drive in runs. Shohei Otani with his 34th home run of the year to center field, but this will not stop Seattle from taking this one at a score of 7-4. Give the win to Logan Gilbert, five and a third, four hits, two earned, nine strikeouts. Brandon, his ERA is now at three five zero on the year after struggling mightily in his first while up. The loss will go to Patrick Sandoval, seven innings, six hits, six runs, only four of them earned and nine strikeouts. This is just a reminder that none of the pitchers that the Angels picked this year in the draft pitched in this game nor will pitch in the next several years. So obviously that strategy has not worked out for their pitching problems.
2: <laughs> on, on a Logan Gilbert, absolutely right. He's been pitching well. LJ, how about this one? In his last nine starts, the Mariners are 9-0. and oh. So, uh, you know, absolutely love to see that if this guy's going to be a part of the franchise. You know, even when... You're not putting up the best stats. If you're getting the win, like if if, if your team is getting the win when when you start, you you're happy at the end of the day. And the team's happy, the fans are happy. That's that's all you can ask, really, as a starting pitcher, is that your team wins.
1: Honestly, I think that is one of the more underrated pieces of playing baseball, is if you can grit out a win, playing baseball from a pitching's perspective, I mean, if you can gut out a performance, it doesn't have to be the prettiest thing, but if you can keep your team in a position to win, that not only pays off with for you within the clubhouse, but it pays off for you with the fans. And it's going to make them a lot more forgiving when those youthful stretches come and you may be not be playing at your best. They're going to have your back still because they know that you have that Somewhere inside you. I mean, I've certainly gotten the advantage of seeing that with Nick Pavetta's unbeaten streak going till, oh gosh, that was at least May that he went unbeaten. He went every single outing was a win until April of this year for the Red Sox. So, like that stuff, again, you can see that these guys are able to grit out these things. And once you see that, you know that's there. You become a lot more comfortable with them even when they are having those rough patches, which every young pitcher will. But I think the big story here is top prospect Brandon Marsh is the one who gets the start in center field today. He gets called up to make his major league debut. He unfortunately goes 0-4 for with two strikeouts in this one. But really, the only thing I could think of when I saw this is, is Joe Adele okay? (laughs)
2: <laughs> no i'm pretty sure joe Adele is hurt uh honestly
1: no no no. i know but like wh- whether he's hurt or not i mean this is he's got 62 games this year in the minors with a 925 ops his numbers his numbers are solid i am really genuinely shocked that they have not given him another shot somewhere here especially with all the time that trout has missed
2: Yeah. uh, No, you're right. And also, uh, I don't think he's hurt. Uh, He's been playing in the minors. So, yeah, I, you know, he's only 22. So maybe they don't want to use has. has he been up yet this year or no,
1: no, he was only up last year.
2: Okay, so they might not want to use his option this year. Uh, So
1: if he's ready, if he's ready to play, he's ready to play.
2: Right, but I mean, like, if uh, – I don't know. Look, it's the Angels. Like, they they just picked 20 pitchers in the draft. Literally 20 out of 20, so. All right, Rocky and Dodgers. Uh, The Rockies get on the board in the first on a Charlie Blackman RBI single. Justin Turner, then homers in the third to give the Dodgers a lead out. after David Price – got on base uh, thanks to a single, pitchers who rake. In the fifth, Garrett Hampson ties the game. He reaches on a fielding error by Chris Owings that allows – or he reaches on a fielding error by Chris Taylor that allows Chris Owings to score, and we're tied at two after five. In the seventh, Matt Adams with an RBI single to give the Rockies a 3-2 lead. But then in the eighth, Will Smith steps up and rips a two run home run to give the Dodgers the lead four to three. In the bottom of the ninth, Chris Owings comes through with a clutch RBI single, and we are tied at four. We go to extras. Top 10, Will Smith singles home the Manfred runner to make it five to four Dodgers. But in the bottom of the 10th, Trevor Story ties the game with a sack fly. And then Charlie Blackman with a walk off home run. The Rockies win six to five. They get their MLB leading 10th walk off this year. That's the most in the MLB. And they continue to play extraordinarily well at home. Uh, I'll have to pull up what exactly they are uh, here in a minute. But they have been playing really well at home this season. They are. At home right here, I have it. 32 and 19 at home and nine and thirty-four on the road. Interesting. They are like 32 and 19. I'm sure that a team was either in first or second place in their division and had that record at some point this year.
1: Absolutely. The more important thing are they better on grass or turf?
2: Oh, that's more
1: intrigued by.
2: The Rockies on grass are 39 and 48. On turf, they are two and
0: five.
1: There so, there's so few turf fields now in major leagues, but somehow it feels like maybe this is just my experience that the amount of turf fields like across America seems to be rapidly growing. Like, I feel like every baseball facility I've seen lately is getting a turf field, which granted is much easier to upkeep, but it's definitely not the same playing experience.
2: No, it's not the same playing experience, but I'm um, it's you're right, upkeep and a lot better for, for the rain, for, for the weather. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, you can, yeah. Like the turf is soggy, it gets wet, but there's no real puddles on there. You know? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I've never been, you know, the only baseball fields I've ever played on were dirt. So I would be interested to, you know, play infield. I want to know what like the bounce what the ball, how that bounces, you know, like is, because mm-hmm. I'm sure that it's just, I don't know. That would be that would be an interesting playing experience. Sliding would be interesting as well.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. It's like those. It's like it's like the gravel fields.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, let's get on to the last game: the Cubs and the Diamondbacks. Uh, the Diamondbacks scored first in the bottom of the fourth. Pavin Smith with an RBI single. It's one nothing Arizona. Cole Calhoun with a single in the fifth to make it 2 nothing Diamondbacks. Chris Bryant and Javi Baez, both with RBI singles in the sixth, to tie it at two. And then in the seventh, Nick Ahmed uh, hits a ground out that scores a run. And then uh, there's a wild pitch that allows another run to score. The Diamondbacks take a 4-2 to two lead. All-star Eduardo Escobar hits his 21st homer of the year, a two-run home run. To make it a six to two Diamondbacks lead. The Cubs get a couple runs in the top of the ninth, but it's not enough. Arizona wins six to four. The win to Merrill Kelly, eight innings, four earned runs, and six Ks. The loss to uh, Dan Winkler, and that was behind a Zach Davies four and two thirds, two earned runs start. Joaquim Soria gets his fourth save on the season.
1: All right, well, to wrap up this show, we're going to start doing something we will be doing every day until the trade deadline hits, and that is going to be talking about a completely random trade scenario. None of these have to have any merit behind them. We don't have to hear the teams even interested in them. We will be talking about them nonetheless today the trade scenario that we have picked up is Trevor's story to the Cincinnati Reds. Brandon, do you want me to start this one off?
2: Uh, yeah, you know, because I'm still, this is certainly an interesting one. I'm, I'm, in, I'm very interested to see what your take is here, or how you came to pick this for us to do.
1: Um, it was really a matter of, I was picking potential trade candidates first. And when it comes to trade candidates, I mean, shortstop is such a premium position that you'd think that somebody was needing it. But that ended up being like, not the case at all whatsoever. Um, It seems to me that every single team with a very few exceptions that is at the top of their division is getting a lot of good production from the most premium position on the field. I mean, you talk about Places that really need to be plus, plus, plus value for your team. You're looking at center field and shortstop are really two of the big ticket items, more so shortstop than anything. You look at the top of some of these hitting statistics, particularly the overall value of statistics. Um, San Francisco has been great. Dodgers are always solid. Tatis has been great in San Diego. William Adamas has been great for Milwaukee. Uh, Correa, you're looking at um Tim Anderson, you're looking at Mark Marcus Simeon, sometimes not Marcus Simeon, but uh Xander Bogarts. Like, you're looking at there, there are with, with the exception of the Oakland Athletics and the Tampa Bay Rays offensively, every single real contender right now is accounted for at the shortstop position. And so that was a little surprising to me. So you kind of had to reach out past there and figure out who could be on the outside looking in trying to make that push. And that's where I came to Cincinnati. Uh, Cincinnati right now currently sits at a 48 and 45 record this year. There's seven games behind the Milwaukee Brewers, but in five and a half behind the NL West for the wild card. With that being said, they are the next closest team to this wild card, and they have plenty of f- firepower in that lineup in order to do that. They could easily get hot in August and make a run right back into a wild, potential wild card berth, but they need to shore some things up. Certainly, they need to shore up the pitching, but I think finding another option other than Eugenio Suarez this year is probably in the best interest of the team. You look at his numbers right now. He's got a 175 batting average, 261 on base with 371 slugging. All of this comes out to a 61 OPS plus. This is a far fall from where he was two years ago when he had hit 49 home runs. Part of that came from the fact that he was expecting to hit at least 49 home runs. Brandon, I feel like we see it every year. There's somebody who talks about and goes into the year dead set focused on wanting to hit like 50 home runs the year and be the next great power hitter. And then they completely fall apart in the process of doing that. And I feel like that's what's happened here with Eugenio Suarez. He's got hundred strikeouts already 18 home runs, but he's just not getting any form of contact. I think Trevor story could easily shore up that position for the Cincinnati Reds and really help them moving forward, trying to keep that offensive consistency and push towards a potential playoff berth. The only reason I don't like this is, can you really justify trying to buy into this wild card run right now? I mean, you've got San Francisco, LA, and San Diego who are playing out of their mind and frankly are the three biggest contenders for the National League pennant this year. And they're all in the same division. Like, there, there's no winning with that. So you have to really sit down and think to yourself, if you're Cincinnati, do we actually think we can win, in the, win with this? Or are we kidding ourselves?
2: Yeah. You know, I think that – well, first we should start with the Rockies. And it's like, if they don't trade Trevor Story – it would be one of the dumbest choices ever because they're not going to be able to get anything because there's not no chance in hell that he resigns with with the Rockies after this year. I mean, there's not a chance. He's going to be a free agent. They need to trade him because it's his last year on his deal. But you're right. I mean, you look through who he could possibly get dealt to, and I guess the like the Reds make the most sense. I mean would you even look at a team like uh i don't know the the indians like ahmed rosario yeah i get they just traded for him but for an expiring contract and like the indians are still like they're they're eight games out of uh first place yeah but i guess they're kind of in the same same uh, situation as the reds i mean we're but i'm stretching here i mean Other than Oakland, Cleveland, and Cincinnati, I really don't see anyone else here.
1: Um, Yeah, everybody just, it just feels like everyone's either has shortstop easily locked up or they're too locked into their situation at shortstop. The other thing I would consider here would perhaps be Philadelphia, but they have so many other needs in the pitching end that they can live with Didi Gregorius or Gene Segura at shortstop for the time being, for this team, even at second base. For this team right now, uh, Tampa and Oakland, there's no way in hell they are going to pay any portion of his $17.5 million sal- salary that they would have to have on their books. And the only other team, Brandon, you can tell me that I could, if I'm completely crazy, is could you possibly see New York take any tor- any type of play towards him right now especially if they could be looking at getting a short stop in the offseason could could we see them go after story right here right now and make it easier for them to get him next winter but on your cleveland point i just i feel like with trading francisco lindor last year you kind of have to be locked into your return for a little while like you have to have some confidence in what you brought into your system if you're going to have any good optics out of that deal. I mean no matter how bad Francisco Lindor plays, if you if two of your big okay, we're still going to be good. We're still going to contend pieces because we got this this and this in that deal of the of that group of things. Andre Jimenez is already down in AAA. And Then you have Ahmed Rosario, who has been kind of stuck in the middle of that lineup, not really doing much this year. So I feel like you kind of have to stick with him just to save face at this point. And that's the only reason I didn't pick Cleveland.
2: Yeah, you know, I mean, it also makes sense. They just moved on from their franchise shortstop. Uh, But as for like the Cincinnati fit. You're right. Uh, Eugenio Suarez has been playing there a little bit. Kyle Farmer has also been splitting splitting time there. Uh, They both not been good. I mean, Kyle Farmer has been better than Eugenio Suarez, barely. Uh, Kyle Farmer's got at least almost a 300 on base percentage. Uh, But it's just like... Yeah, it makes sense for the Reds. But now, then, LJ, you go into the question, who do you trade? Because the Reds have a very weak farm system. I mean, very weak. Well, what's for
1: starters, the- I bet I bet a. Suarez would love to hit it course.
2: Well, I mean, what why would the Rockies trade for him when he's he's under contract for 2024?
1: But What's I mean- the contract?
2: He's got AAV of $9.4 mil, or actually $10 million over the next uh, three years with a club option in 2025. That's not a lot. Are you? Do you really want to pay $10 million for a guy who's hitting under the Mendoza line for the next three years?
1: But if you're not going to be that good anyways, and you can – potentially have something providing production. Like, I I wouldn't be opposed to taking him. I don't don't want, I don't think if I'm Colorado, I would by no means accept him as the central point of this deal. However, if they were willing to throw him in, I'd take that. I'd take that with the hope that he is able to get back to being maybe a 250 hitter that would hit 35 home runs in a normal park, because that translates to 40-something home runs of course and that that at least gives you something positive to be looking at something fun to be there for the fans for the next couple of years as they go into a very heavy reset or at least hopefully rebuild here and get some real prospects in Colorado he can't be the main piece however if I was had the option of getting him I would not be opposed
2: so even if he's not the main piece and you and you you do make a good point there I do think that he certainly could be on the table. I mean, what what are you willing to give up here if you're Cincinnati? Because, I mean, what it, what is there to give up? I mean, you're not going to give up Hunter Green, are you? Like that's one of your that's been one of your top prospects for a long time. Still a top forty prospect within the MLB. He's at AAA right now. I'm probably not going to give him up. Your your top prospect, Jose Barrero. He's a top 35 prospect in the MLB. He's still a triple A. So it's like, what are, you, what are you willing to give up? What are the Rockies gonna want? Because I mean, if you're Colorado, you you want you want a lot, right? Like you were trying to not, get a lot. Not really
1: though. Brandon, we just went through and found maybe three, and we were really stretching to get those three locations. For Trevor Story this year. There is not a lot of need at shortstop right now. And so when you're trying to get into this market, a traded st- Trevor Story is better than a here Trevor Story as far as I'm concerned if you're the Rockies. You're certainly not going to want to get ripped off here. However, when it comes down to it, y- you got to make a move. And so Overall, I think what it's, what we're going to end up seeing is perhaps Cincinnati has to look at things ten days from now. See, okay, are we within striking distance? Are we within four games of the Padres right now? Because if we are, then we have to really make a tough decision here and decide whether we want to go all in. Because this all this team also could use some pitching. It could use a an actual closer. Um, like there, there are other holes on this team, but it all depends on whether they think that this team has the build to be able to make a run in the back half. Any last yeah. thoughts?
2: No, yeah. Uh, I think that that's, that's well put. Uh, this was certainly a interesting talk because I frankly didn't realize or think about how there's just not a lot of need for shortstop right now. And it makes sense. I mean, it seems like that that left side of the infield, both shortstop and third base, is extremely deep around the league now. Where in years past, for hitters, I mean, LJ, I think about like 10, 10 years ago, like some of the best hitting shortstops were. You know, their shortstop was one of the weaker hitting spots. Now, yeah. it's, it, you could argue it's one of the it's like one of the best spots in the league. Same with third base. I mean, third base has always been a big spot, but now it's so deep when you're talking about a guy like Anthony Rendon, who we have, you know, have not been talking about lately a lot. I mean, he you could like argue, I think we did it the one day where he couldn't like not be a top five third baseman in the league right now. That's a guy who just like signed how, how, how much was his contract for? I mean, right? I mean, he finished third in MVP two years ago, and you could argue that he's not even top five at his own position. I mean, that's crazy to think. And even at shortstop, you could argue that Trevor Story is not top five or whatever. I mean, I think that's hard to argue he's not top five, but still, it just goes to show how deep we are now at the, on the left side of the infield. So,
1: Brandon, looking at OPS among a team's shortstops right now, Eight of the top nine teams are contenders. The other team in there is Colorado.
2: Wow. Yeah, it makes sense. It it makes sense. Well, uh, I think that that is actually a perfect place to wrap this up. Thank you for listening to the MLB Daily Podcast. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram, TikTok. Those are all at MLB Daily Pod. Uh, Be sure to play our trivia game on our Twitter. And uh, yeah, thank you
0: for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. See you manana.